Hello, and welcome to our latest Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast. My name is Catherine Pluck, and I'm a Senior Knowledge Lawyer here at Norton Rose Fulbright in London. And today I'm joined by Senior Associate Rebecca Dillier and Associate Lizzie Cox, who both specialise in regulatory investigations and enforcement, as well as anti-money laundering matters. And we're going to be discussing reporting obligations under the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002, or POCA. In particular, we're going to cover how to draft and submit good quality suspicious activity reports, also known as SARs. And the aim is to assist MLROs, nominated officers and other relevant functions, such as in-house legal counsel and compliance officers, to fulfil their obligations under POCA. Lizzie, to start with, perhaps you can give us some context for today's discussion. Thanks, Kat, and hi to those listening. As we all know, money laundering, particularly high-end money laundering, and that is the laundering of large amounts of illicit funds through the financial and professional services sector, can threaten the UK's national security and undermine the integrity of the UK's financial system. The UK Financial Intelligence Unit, the FIU, receives over 460,000 SARs a year, and virtually all of this data is shared with UK law enforcement providing intelligence from the public and private sector that may not otherwise be accessible. SARS are therefore a critical intelligence resource enabling law enforcement to disrupt not just money laundering, but also terrorism, serious and organized crime, corruption and fraud. And even observations which may appear insignificant to the reporter may provide useful intelligence to support an ongoing investigation. Agreed, Lizzie. And there are serious implications, in particular criminal offences, for failing to report under POCA. And so it's important for firms and individuals to understand what the reporting requirements are. Could you please briefly outline the key requirements here for regulated sector entities? Yes, of course. Sections 330 and 331 of POCA and Section 19 of the Terrorism Act create offences for individuals in the regulated sector where they fail to report a suspicion or reasonable suspicion of money laundering, either to their nominated officer and or the NCA. And these offences carry a maximum penalty of five years imprisonment and or a fine. Section 332 of POCA creates a similar offence for nominated officers operating outside of the regulated sector. Whether or not to make a SARS to the NCA is ultimately a decision for the nominated officer, regardless of whether they're operating in the regulated or unregulated sector. However, the issues around reporting can be complex, and so we would recommend seeking legal advice as early as possible if you're unsure of your obligations or what to do in a particular scenario that has arisen for your business. And as a reminder, there doesn't have to be a proven criminal offence for suspicion of money laundering and therefore a reporting obligation to arise. And there is no statutory definition of suspicion, only guidance from case law. Um, And it's subjective, although there is also an objective test where operating in the reasonable, uh, where operating the regulated sector. Although the phrase you will often hear used to define suspicion is a possibility, which is more than fanciful. And this originates from the case of the Crown versus De Silva. Thanks, Lizzie. Rebecca, now turning to you, by way of further context on this topic, could you please tell us about the different types of SARS which can be submitted to the NCA? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kat. So broadly, there are two types of SARS which can be submitted. (coughs) Firstly, notification SARS, um, which for those working in the regulated sector, uh, should be filed if you know or suspect or have reasonable grounds for knowing or suspecting, which is what Lizzie just alluded to, um, that another person is involved in money laundering or terrorist financing. 
So that's the lower threshold of nominated officers working in the non-regulated sector where the requirement is limited to just actual knowledge or actual suspicion. Uh, secondly, a second category I just wanted to touch on was the uh, authorised disclosure or defence SARS. So these are commonly known as DAMLs. And the purpose of a DAML is to provide you with a defence when you're reporting to one of the principal money laundering offences under POCA. So in other words, concealing, transferring, acquiring uh, or using criminal property. So, for instance, just to bring that to life a little bit, you might consider filing a DAML where you have a suspicion that property you intend to deal with in some way might be criminal. And there's a risk that by dealing with it, you might be committing a money laundering offence. Uh, just a couple of points on DAMLs. The, when a DAML is filed, the NCA has seven working days to respond to either grant the defence, the prohibited activity, i.e. the activity that would constitute the money laundering offence, or to refuse that consent. Now, most often they don't respond and then you're considered to be deemed to have that defence. But if the NCA refuses to grant the DAML, then the clock starts running on what is called the moratorium period. And that's usually a period of 31 days, but can be extended um, with the court's permission to 217 days. Either way, you should not carry out the prohibited activity during that period. And you can expect the NCA to contact you uh, for further information relating to, to the DAML request. So with both, it's really important to draft them clearly, uh, particularly so when requesting a demo, though, because that will reduce the likelihood of the NCA requesting any further information and that then potentially causing a delay to a defence being granted. And that can be particularly frustrating if you're working to a timetable within a transaction or similar. And you'll want to make sure that you get a demo that covers all the relevant activity, which may give rise to the money laundering offence. Just to note also, you should probably bear in mind that UK FIU might refer poor quality SARS to the relevant AML supervisor. So, for example, the HMRC or the FCA, which is, of course, something to be avoided. Definitely. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, what information do reporters need to include in the SARS? So, for both types of SARS, and whether in the regulatory sector or not, the report should include the information which gave rise to the grounds for your knowledge or suspicion, and a description of the property that you suspect or believe to be criminal property. And that includes the value of that property where it's possible. Then if you're submitting a DAML, you have to also include a description of the prohibited act for which you're seeking the defence. So, for example, requiring criminal proceeds, which may be an offence under Section 329 of POCA. Now, in addition, for those in the regulator sector, there are a couple of additional requirements under POCA when you're reporting. So, you should really seek to provide the identity of the persons involved, the whereabouts of the criminal property and any information that you believe or it's reasonable to be expected to believe that might assist in identifying either of those elements. Now, the NCA said in their guidance that they cannot interpret, assume, apply or infer anything from the disclosures in the report you submit. So it's important to be as explicit as possible when drafting, whilst obviously appreciating the fact that the level of information that's um, will be known, will vary on a case-by-case -case basis. Thanks, Rebecca. As some of those listening will know, the SAR online platform is the NCA's preferred method of receiving SAR submissions, although it is still possible to submit a SAR using other methods. This provides a standardised approach to structuring SARs and is designed to help reporters and improve processing time by the NCA. Last year, the NCA launched a new version of this platform, which is much more user-friendly, However, completing the form correctly is key. 
Lizzie, moving on now to some insights from our experience in this area, could you please talk us through your tips for completing SARS? Of course, the first thing to say is that the SAR form is roughly split into two sections, a front end which requests specific short form pieces of information, so names, addresses, etc. And then a free text section where reporters are required to set out their reason for suspicion and any further background in a long form style. There's a limit of 8000 characters for this, which is about 15000 words sorry, 1,500 words. And in terms of general tips for both halves of the form, there are a few do's and don'ts for reporters to consider. So firstly, do include as much detail as possible. For example, full names, addresses, occupations, company names, telephone numbers, email addresses, and even partial information. So if you have a partial passport number, for example, it's important to include all the information you have to allow law enforcement to conduct as wide a search as possible on their existing intelligence databases. And you should also include details of any associated subjects if, if they are known. If there are other professionals involved in the circumstances surrounding your report, then you should include their details in the SAR as the NCA may wish to contact them too. And make sure that you just refer back to NCA guidance. There are some really helpful booklets available on the NCA website, including one specifically on submitting better quality SARs. In terms of things um, to avoid, don't leave any of the information fields in the SAR form blank. Complete them all if you can, and if you can't, just put unknown in capital letters. This is to help the database for scanning purposes, and it clearly indicates to the NCA that you don't have the information, which should avoid further queries. Don't use a symbol like a question mark or, or an asterisk. Don't send attachments with your SAR. Um, all of the relevant information should be within the body of the SAR itself. And the free text portion of the SAR is subject to that character limit I mentioned and may not be conducive to communicating information stored in detailed spreadsheets, etc. Um, so if you have further information available, which you're willing to share with law enforcement, just make a reference to this and include contact details. And there's also a box on the new portal which you can check to indicate that you have further information that you're willing to share if required. And finally, don't include any internal reference numbers in your SAR. Um, this will confuse the analysts and make it more difficult to connect related SARs if you are submitting more than one SAR in relation to the same topic. If you want to make reference to another SAR that you've previously submitted, only use the SAR reference number given to you by the NCA. Thanks, Lizzie. And what about the structure of a SAR? Do you have any tips on that? Um, in particular, in relation to the free text reason for suspicion section to enable the NCA to understand and appropriately triage the report as swiftly as possible. Yes, um, I do. But as an overriding point, I would just say it's important to remember that every SAR is very fact specific. Some will be incredibly simple and a short draft will be absolutely fine, whereas others will be a lot more complex. And so you should take drafting depending on the circumstances. Very long text heavy SARS can be difficult to digest. So for longer SARS, try using section headings, breaking up the text into more manageable paragraphs. In general, though, the, the structure I'm going to run through now should help you draft a coherent SAR, which contains all of the, the necessary elements. So I would start when drafting a SAR with a summary to briefly introduce the person making the report, highlight the key elements of the suspicion and identify the proposed prohibited acts. Um, you seek to undertake involving the criminal property. So, for example, um, A makes its notification under section 
X of the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002, no defence against money laundering is sought or a defence against money laundering is sought, depending on the type of SAR. This notification is made in relation to, and then briefly lists the names of activities, and then A seeks a defence to do and then describe the prohibited activity briefly. Then I would move on to discuss the background to the report, i.e. what happened to give rise to your suspicion. If any previous connected SARS have been submitted, include a section on any further investigations or additional information which has come to light as appropriate. Providing a chronological sequence of events is often the best way to do this, and this will enable you to tell the story in the order that it happened. Following that, I would set out the grounds for your suspicion. And here you should describe fully the reasons for suspicion in relation to money laundering in as straightforward a manner as possible. So, for example, a suspicion of money laundering arises in relation to X because of the following facts. Bum, bum, bum. Suspicion is a very important factor when seeking a defence and is the rationale behind why SAR was submit submitted. So you should be as explicit as possible there and conclude this section with the intended action if appropriate. So do you intend to exit the relationship, monitor the customer, continue the relationship, putting in place the following safeguards, etc. Next, set out the property which you suspect is criminal and then identify the person suspected to be involved in money laundering. And you should also identify the other parties involved in dealing with the criminal property in as much detail as possible, whether that's criminal associates or other professional parties. Include any information, as we've discussed, that can assist in identifying the subjects and their whereabouts. Finally, set out your request for a DAML, if appropriate. Identify clearly the proposed prohibited act that you want to undertake involving the criminal property. For example, in light of the facts outlined above, X seeks a defence to a principal money laundering offence under section 327-329 of POCA, in particular to X. Keep your drafting as clear and concise as possible, and in particular the rationale for your suspicion and any defence sought. Um, two final points to note. Firstly, there is now a specific place in the new SARS form to include NCA glossary codes on the SAR. Um, on the SAR portal, so you no, need, no longer need to include them in the reason for suspicion box. These codes help triage SARS to the correct area of law enforcement, so make sure you check that list and include a code if it applies. There may of course be circumstances when, when no codes fit. Um, the full list of these codes is available on the NCA website and it's updated from time to time, so it's a good idea just to refer back to it when submitting a SAR. And secondly, the, the new portal also introduces a, a 200 character summary box, which appears prior to the reason for suspicion box. So you will also need to prepare a very short headline summary of, of, um, of your report to include here. Thanks, Lizzie. I, I agree with all those points. I mean, there's a lot of detail there. So I think um, perhaps it would be helpful for our listeners to recap a high level checklist for when drafting your SAR just to ensure you know, you're thinking through the relevant points, and the key points and ticking them off as you go along. So so with that in mind, um, consider firstly, who is involved and how and their current location, if I know it. Secondly, the nature of the criminal or terrorist property. What is it? Cash, jewellery, shares, etc. And what's the value? And for those purposes, an estimate is fine. Uh, then where is the criminal property located? And then finally, when and how the circumstances arose that leading to the grounds um, for my suspicion and of course any other useful information um, 
uh, that might be relevant that is that is not included in those categories above would be helpful for the NCA to be aware of, as it's just touched on. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, that's a really helpful list to think about um, to avoid getting lost in all of the additional detail. And just to add three points to that. Um, firstly, try your best to avoid any acronyms or jargon, as these may not be understood by the person at the NCA reading your report and are open to misinterpretation. Um, two, if you're describing a service provider or a technical aspect of your work, then try and provide a brief synopsis in your SAR just to help the reader understand how this works and why this has led to suspicion. And finally, as mentioned, the SARS form has sections for identifying information, so names, addresses, nationalities, etc. If you have additional information which may help to identify the suspects, which doesn't fit into one of those boxes, um, then you should include this in context with your suspicion. For example, identification document details, passports, driving licenses, occupations, bank details, anything you can think of. It all helps to build that picture of the subjects and to track them in real life. Thanks very much, Faith. That's really useful. Rebecca, is there anything additional for reporters to consider if they're requesting a DAML specifically? Yeah, thanks, Kat. I think on a really practical level, and with apologies for stating the obvious here, but just make sure you tick the box marked consent if you're using the SAR online portal um, and seeking a DAML. Um, secondly, really important to specify the activity for which the defence is required um, and be clear what offence it is you think you might be committing. As um, I think I mentioned earlier, the NCA won't infer anything, um, including that. They won't make the decision for you about what, what the, the offence is you're concerned about. And just remember that requests for DAML can't be open-ended. You know, so you can't say things like, oh, I'm seeking defence relation to handling or business dealings. Um, you know, that, that reference is a sort of indeterminate period stretching into the future, um, which is not an approach that should be adopted. You have to be as specific as possible. Um, the final couple of points I wanted to make are with respect to DAMOs is making sure you're clear on the reasons of the context of the transaction, if you're referencing one, and when it will take place and how. Um, in person or online. And then finally, uh, the NCA has flagged that sometimes people seek a defence where they've been unable to complete customer due diligence and have issued guidance that the SARS process is not a substitute for taking a risk-based approach or fulfilling your regulatory and legal responsibilities. Um, and in those circumstances, it's likely that they will they will refuse a DAML request. Um, so just bear that in mind. And also, you know, a DAML does not provide you with a defence against other criminal offences. So there might need to be some internal thinking that they're uh, considering whether, you know, what other risks um, for the business might relate to dealing with suspected criminal property. It might not just be, for example, that you have to report uh, to the NCA. Thanks, Rebecca. I would add it's important to consider any sector guidance which may apply when you're considering making the SAR. Lizzie, going back to you, what should our reporters do if further information comes to light after a SAR has been submitted? Um, in that case, generally, Kat, they should submit a supplementary SAR to the NCA if you're um, outside of the notice period for a DAML or in general with a notification SAR, which should contain the reference number to the previous SAR, as this will allow the NCA to easily link the disclosures. NCA guidance notes that under 
HOCA and the Terrorism Act, each SAR submitted on the same individual must contain a suspicion and all the relevant details. And this is even if you've included the reference number for a previously submitted SAR. And the NCA may also contact you themselves if they require further information following the submission of a SAR. And this will normally be by email and a response will generally be requested swiftly. Failure to respond to an information request of this sort may result in your DAML being refused or your request being closed, and that means it will need to be resubmitted, which obviously wastes a significant amount of time. Yes, agreed. And Rebecca, is there anything else reporters should be aware of once a SAR has been submitted? Um, I'm thinking here in particular around tipping off offences. Yes, that's a really important point. So there are certain offences under POCA um, so tipping off or prejudicing of investigation uh, that we really need to be aware of. So in the regulated sector, it's a criminal offence to disclose that a SAR has been made or indeed a money laundering investigation and contemplating, uh, contemplation, sorry, um, where doing so is likely to prejudice that investigation. So that's the tipping off offence in section 333A of POCA. Um, the prejudicing and investigation offence, section 342, and they share common features, but the tipping off provisions apply only to the regulator sector, whereas the prejudicing investigation offence is more general in terms of its application. Now, tipping off can be a really tricky area to navigate, particularly where you have an existing relationship with the customer or client, and you need to really think carefully about how you handle that relationship once you've submitted the SAR and what can and can't be communicated. Uh, just to bring that to life a little bit, so, Reasonable inquiries of a customer or a client conducted in a tactful manner around the background to a transaction or activity which might be inconsistent with their normal pattern of business, for example, is good practice. And that, as we know, forms an integral part of CDD measures. So that should not give rise to tipping off. Uh, however, it's important to be aware that an inadvertent disclosure can also amount to tipping off. Um, and certain disclosures, so such as disclosures within an undertaking or group, are permitted. So it is quite a tricky area to navigate and one, one that's really worth, worth sort of thinking through properly. Yes, absolutely. And seeking advice if you're unsure. Money laundering is obviously a crime. But finally for today, Lizzie, what should reporters do if they want to report any other criminal activity in connection with the SAR? Uh, great question, Kat. It's important to remember that the SARS regime for reporting knowledge or suspicions of money laundering or relating to terrorist finan uh, financing. It's not a general, the NCA, sorry, is not a general crime reporting agency. And this means that where you have knowledge or suspicion of the underlying criminal activity, as well as the suspicion of money laundering, you will have to decide um, whether to report that information to another agency. So for example, action fraud, where you have knowledge of a fraud related crime or to local police. The NCA has provided further guidance of additional reporting routes for criminal activity, which is available via their website. Um, but just remember that the um, the form that's required for, for SARS is, is different to this. Um, if you have reported a crime prior to submitting a SAR and have been provided with a crime reference number, it's useful to include this in your SAR so that it can be cross-referenced by law enforcement. And in addition to the NCA, you may also need to consider reporting obligations as regards to other regulators. So, for example, where market abuse is suspected, you may be required to submit a suspicious transaction and order report, which is known as a store, to the FCA. 
Thank you, Lizzie. And also thank you, Rebecca, for your insights today. And to those listening, please do get in touch if you have any specific queries about SARS or your obligations under POCA generally. We'd be happy to assist. Do look out for further updates on our Regulation Tomorrow blog on this and other topics. And please do get in touch with any queries or suggestions for future podcast topics. Thank you for listening. Thank you.